Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work, and you can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Andrew Joppa. He's a professor and also author of Josephus of Oz. We have a lot to talk about today. It is January the 25th, and on this day in 1961, President John F. Kennedy became the first U.S. president to hold a live televised news conference. From a podium in the State Department auditorium, Kennedy read a prepared statement regarding the famine in Congo, the release of two American aviators from Russian custody, and impending negotiations for an atomic test ban treaty. He then opened the floor for questions from reporters, answering queries on a variety of topics, including relations with Cuba, voting rights, and food aid to impoverished Americans. Ever since his televised presidential debate with Richard Nixon in 1960, Kennedy had been aware of his media's enormous power to sway public opinion. On that day, Kennedy had appeared rested, well-groomed, and in control. Nixon, on the other hand, was not as telegenic as Kennedy and appeared sweaty and flustered, had a five-day growth or five, uh, five o'clock shadow. Uh, his five o'clock shadow created more of a stir than his responses to the moderator's questions. Kennedy knew that in televised news conferences, his appearance would count almost as much as what he said. On this day in 1961, the president exhibited a calm demeanor and responded to reporters' questions with intelligence and decorum. His ability to project charm, intelligence, strength, and openness defined the presidential image in the age of mass media. He really did a great job. I recall uh, watching those uh, for, for the debate as, with Nixon as well as the initial televised uh, news conferences. They were really quite good. And he, he was, it was a confluence of his charm and as well as uh, his preparedness to do a good, great job on television. Well, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Monday announced a legislative proposal designed to protect educators from teachers' unions and increase teacher pay, touting a teacher's bill of rights. You talk about the students have rights. We have a lot of parents of having rights. Well, that's very important, you know, but teachers really need to have rights in terms of their managing classrooms and being able to do what they need to do, DeSantis said, explaining that his administration was will work with the legislature to create a bill focusing on teacher empowerment, which he said is almost like a teacher's bill of rights. DeSantis also said he wanted to protect teachers who are forced to take disciplinary action when children are being disruptive, explaining that some feel that they end up being a, the bad guy just by making sure the kids are well-behaved. The governor said that he also would advance proposals to ensure teacher paychecks are protected. If you do these reforms, automatic deduction for school union dues, that's your choice. If you want to do that, you know, send your money in, that's fine. But to have it automatically deducted when you sign an authorization form, they can't tell you how much is being deducted, you know, and that's not right, he said, calling for more transparency. The governor also called to reduce school board term limits from 12 years to 8. Further, DeSantis is calling for another increase in teacher pay. Per his website, uh, since 2020, the governor secured more than $2 billion in funding for teacher pay, the largest increase for teachers in Florida history. This funding has allowed teachers to or Florida to achieve an average starting teacher salary of $48,000 for the 2023 season or school year, uh, meeting the exceeding Florida's goal to have an average starting pay of $47,500. The governor is proposing an additional $200 million to continue raising teacher pay, bringing the total to $1 billion for teacher pay and recommended budget for the next year. This uh, $200 million increase over the current year's budget will be provided to school districts with maximum flexibility to best fit the school needs uh, district's needs. School districts will be able to uh, provide the funding to continue raising teacher salaries <clears throat> or to provide teacher increases for veteran teachers and other eligible instructional personnel. Very important, having the best teachers available in the state of Florida. Well, the United States has suffered nearly 300,000 more deaths than usual 
in more than two years of the pandemic cannot uh, be attributed to COVID, with researchers blaming lockdowns and de- uh, delays to healthcare. Latest official data shows that there are 1.26 million excess deaths between February 2020 and the end of 2022, of which around 295,000 did not have COVID at the, as the main cause of death on their death certificates. These are thought to be mostly made up of surges in deaths from cancer, heart disease, drug overdoses, and firearms during the pandemic. However, a full analysis of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, is likely weeks away. I frankly, I'm not sure the CDC can do a good job of doing this analysis. Uh, in, in some ways, they have a smoking gun, so perhaps somebody else should do that. But in any event, we can all recognize the fact that we're having excess deaths now in our society. The question is why? A recent study found that more than 7,000 excess deaths in the United States are occurring weekly. Unacceptable. Well, the FDA wants to limit the amount of lead in baby food. The FDA has been trying to limit the amount of toxic metals in baby food for years. One study found that 94% of store-bought baby food contains lead, while 32% contains mercury. Lead exposure in kids has been linked to brain damage, learning disabilities, and behavioral difficulties. The good news is since the 80s, lead exposure through food has decreased by 97% among young kids. Now the FDA wants to get closer to zero. Now, how are they going to do that? Well, yesterday shared new federal guidance that could reduce lead in some baby foods by as much as 27%. Uh, before you throw everything out, it's, it's important to note that metals and toxins are found in just about all foods. That's because fruits and vegetables absorb small amounts of lead and other materials from the soil, water, and even air, naturally through pollution. So if you're thinking about making your own baby food with store-bought or organic items, uh, well, you may be wasting your time because experts have, uh, have to limit exposure to the cutback on root vegetables like carrots, sweet potatoes, since they've been shown to have more toxic levels than others, and replacing ice pu- rice puffs or rice cakes with things like oatmeal. Right now, the FDA still has their guidelines in draft mode. It can't finalize anything for about 60 days during the public comment period. Then it'll sign off on the changes. After that, the FDA will have the power to take action against companies that exceed new lead limits, but critics believe that like guidelines don't go far enough, and it's worthy noting that the FDA doesn't have address other metals like cadmium, which have also detected in baby food. So uh, some progress being made on that front. Certainly the harms are tremendous, but uh, again, the FDA has reduced uh, the exposure by a larger percent. So uh, that's an update on what's happening with baby food. Republican uh, Senator Ted Cruz introduced a constitutional amendment Monday to impose term limits for members of Congress. The legislation would limit U.S. senators to two six-year terms and members of the U.S. House of Representatives to two or three two-year terms after the date of its enactment. Two uh, term limits are critical to fixing what's wrong with Washington. D.C., the founding fathers, envisioned a government of citizens legislators who would serve for a few years and then return home, not a government run by a small group of special interests and lifelong permanently entrenched politicians who prey upon the brokenness of Washington, D.C. to govern in a manner that is totally unaccountable to the American people. So uh, congratulations on that, Ted Cruz. Uh, I wonder if it'll get some traction and actually get to the people as a constitutional amendment. It's a good thing, and uh, I I would vote for it. Most voters believe uncontrolled federal spending is the reason Washington has burst through the debt ceiling again, and they're okay with shutting down the government until Democrats and Republicans can come up with a needed cut to bring down the debt. According to a latest Rasmussen Report uh, survey, Voters also believe that Congress, the White House, and federal agencies are to blame for the problem, not Americans paying too little in taxes. So I don't know about you, but the last time the government shut down, I had almost no inconvenience. I went to one website in the U.S. uh, sponsored by the United States government, and it wasn't available. Other than that, no inconvenience. So we should shut down the government until we can come up with a satisfactory solution to not only increase the debt ceiling, but also to reduce spending here in the United States. Well, Adam Schiff, the Democrat from California, vowed revenge 
against House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, indicating he would keep Schiff and Representative Swalwell off the House Intelligence Committee. Kevin McCarthy just kicked me and Swalwell off the Intelligence Committee. This is just petty political payback for investigating Donald Trump, Schiff tweeted. If he thinks this will stop me, he will soon find out just how wrong he is. I will always defend our democracy. He actually said that. I'm not kidding. Earlier in the month, McCarthy indicated to reporters that he plans to follow through on his promise to keep Schiff and Swalwell off of the Intelligence Committee. During his time as uh, chairman of the Intelligence Committee, Schiff promoted the debunked U.S. uh, Trump-Russia collusion theory. After while serving as a uh, leading impeachment manager, Schiff famously read out a made-up call between the former president and Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky for uh, dramatic effect amid Democrats moving to impeach Trump. Adam Schiff openly lied to the American people, uh, McCarthy said, told reporters at a press conference. He put America for four years through an impeachment that he knew was a lie at the time we had Ukraine, at the t- same time we had Afghanistan collapse. Was this the role of the Intel Committee? Absolutely not, he said. On the other hand, Swalwell kept uh, caught flack from McCarthy over his intimate sexual relationship with Chinese sp- uh, spy Fang Fang, let me uh, phrase something very direct to you. If you got the briefing I got from the FBI, you wouldn't have Swalwell on any committee, he told reporters. He can't get a security clearance in the private sector. When Republicans held minority held the minority in the previous Congress, McCarthy consistently pledged to keep Schiff and Swalwell off of the Intel Committee if the GOP regained uh, majority control, and they did. I promise you this, when I'm Speaker, Schiff will not be on the Intel Committee anymore. And as you know, what else? Swalwell won't either. I don't know if this is a high bar, but if your relations with a Chinese spy, you shouldn't be going on the Intel Committee. Absolutely. So um, a little bit of payback there, but it's just common sense. You don't have these two, uh, a compulsive liar and a guy that has a close relationship with the Chinese government on the Intel Committee of all things. Well, more than 25,000 tech workers have been laid off around the world since the first two weeks of the new year, according to a data uh, tracking website. More than 101 tech companies around the world have laid off 25,436 employees so far in 2023. Most of the layoffs have taken place in the United States, accounting for 22,400 employees fired. The number of workers being laid off from the tech companies is trending in a uh, continuing from 2022, when 154,336 workers were fired for over a thousand tech companies around the world. Companies with the highest number of layoffs in 2022 and 23 include Meta, that's Facebook, Amazon, and Salesforce. Uh, last fall, Meta, Facebook's parent company, announced it would be cutting its workforce by 11,000 positions. Similarly, Salesforce announced it's cutting uh, January would cutting back uh, positions by 10%. And Amazon said it was cutting off 18,000 jobs. Not all those jobs have been uh, cut, though, at this point. Other tech companies that also cut back are include uh, Blue Apron, DoorDash, BuzzFeed, Vimeo, Lyft, and Twitter. I remember when all these companies were just an absolutely wonderful place to work. <laughs> right now, uh, most people are, I'm sure, are concerned at these companies that they're going to get a pink slip. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Andrew Jopper, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. 
Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by internationalhealthplans.com. If you're planning on traveling abroad, well, most health plans don't cover international travel. And to have some peace of mind when you're on the road in another country, you can uh, look at, at getting international health insurance through internationalhealthplans.com. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So usually we start off our, our Wednesday discussions with uh, good news. Do you have some good news for us? I, I have some. Let me just start out with some personal good news. I, I found my keys. Now, my keys are my car fob, my mailbox key, house key, storage locker key, and it was sending me into a turmoil. I found them. I ranked that event as being just below my the birth of my children in terms of the joy that created <laughs> in my mind, Bob. So I, I just thought I'd share that with your audience and, and you, of course. Uh, the real good news, getting away from that kind of nonsense, um, I think McCarthy rejecting uh, Schiff and Swalwell from the House Intelligence Committee is, a, uh, is good news. Now, of course, McCarthy's being attacked as this being political payback. I think it is, it's, it's not that, although it may be have, a, have a, a connotation of that. But I think there's a qualitative difference between what the Democrats did in, let's say, blocking uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and the blocking of uh, a Swalwell, who had a, uh, a pillow conversation with a known Chinese spy, and, uh, and Adam Schiff, who has uh, lied on multiple occasions, knowingly lied, uh, to the American people about critical issues. So I think the rejection of uh, both of those gentlemen from the House Intelligence Committee was absolutely appropriate and necessary, and is a far different uh, rejection uh, than what Pelosi offered the, the Republican nominees for those, for those positions, Bob. I couldn't agree more. In fact, uh Schiff is just a compulsive liar. I think he's planning on running for the Senate, so perhaps if they maintain the Senate majority, he'll get back on some sort of committee. <laughs> but uh, but uh, Swalwell is just unacceptable. It's just unbelievable. Well, both both are unacceptable, I think, of uh, of the two. Swalwell, because of his relationship that uh, went on and, uh, for many years, apparently, with uh, was it Fang Fang, I think it was, uh, certainly cannot be on the Intelligence Committee, among others, and Omar would be, a, be another one that should be certainly kept out of that, uh, of that kind of uh, highly uh, classified work that's being done in the Intelligence Committee. 
Another piece of, uh, of, of comical good news, just very comical, because it exposes the left more and more, I think, in terms of their idiocy. Lori Lightfoot in, in Chicago, the mayor, has indicated that the way they should prevent street crime is by having street vendors uh, use a digital currency as their means of transaction in the street to prevent their money being directly stolen, uh, fiat money from being stolen by, by street thugs. Now, this would be the equivalency of saying you're going to suppress murder by having every citizen wear a, uh, a vest that prevents knife stabbings. I mean, it's just <laughs> an absurdity. The, the, the depth of their idiocy is just uh, un- unbelievable. And Lori Lightfoot, I think, uh, le- leads the parade. Uh, I'd also like to, to mention, because I think it's an important situation. I haven't, uh, I don't have all the details yet, but uh, and I have some of them. Uh, Ron DeSantis here in Florida has announced a significant school reform uh, program to empower teachers, diminish unions. Diminishing unions is a uh, is a is a dramatic consideration. Uh, uh, perhaps less so in Florida than it was in New York, where I fought my battles. But even here in Florida, I think it's a significant battle. Uh, he wants to pay the teachers better and uh, uh, not have to compel teachers to uh, to join the unions and have have extracted dues. Uh, I would like to disagree to with to a certain extent, and uh, it's very difficult for DeSantis to deal with what I'm going to say. But I think paying teachers across the board equally is one of the major problems. Uh, as I've told uh, many teachers when I was involved with uh, with these uh, with these issues back in New York, I would say I would love to pay the good teachers more. But I can't because all the teachers make the same, including the bad teachers. So effectively, I think when you're paying teachers across the board, you're doing little more than underpaying the uh, the ones that should get more money, and you're rewarding teachers that should not be given more money. I think one of the issues has to be the incoming uh, interview process should be more than just teacher certification from a uh, certification uh, college. I think it must include uh, certain delvings into their logic, into their ability to think rationally, uh, into their lack of of, of excessive eccentricities as it pertains to politics or social issues. I'm not saying they have to be evaluated to, uh, to agree with me or with, agree with anything, but I think they have to be examined before they reach the classroom in terms of who they are, how they think, and what they think, Bob. You know, Andy, uh, you've kind of portrayed the situation as, uh, as the uh, increases that are going to be across the board. And as I understand it, the decisions are being pushed down to the local school boards as, as far down as possible in order to make these decisions. So I think there's a little bit more flexibility than uh, what we're uh, portraying right now. I, I would like to see that. I mean, I think there is there are ways of assessing the the quality of a teacher uh, by by looking at comparable situations uh, as to what. Uh, outcomes are achieved in terms of standardized testing and uh, anything that uh, could be used to assess one teacher against the, against another. I think these these devices uh, exist. Let, let me just give one example of something that. Uh, goodness should be given thought. At the local high school back where I came from, there were two sections of chemistry being offered in the local high school. Uh, one of the sections was being uh, run by the regular faculty member in that section. The other, the faculty member was ill, and they had to use substitutes the entire year, substitute teachers. Uh, effectively, as they hit the regions, the New York State standardized test in chemistry, no one with the regular faculty member passed whereas half of the class passed who were only dealing with substitutes. Uh, that is a, a single example, but I think we, when you see things like that, that yeah. kind of comparable performance uh, in essentially equal populations, uh, or un, uh, not comparable po- uh, performance, I think you have to really understand that the quality of the teacher uh, is a critical issue in terms of what happens in that classroom. I think that's, that's an obvious statement, uh, but I, I don't know if it's given as much focus as it generally deserves, Bob. What do you think about uh, students rating their teachers? I mean, when I was going to school, I knew when I had a good teacher in the classroom, and I knew when I had somebody who was not that good. Uh, I'm I'm not saying they should be all-inclusive, but uh, it seems to me that uh, students should have something to say about the quality of their teachers. Well, as a, as a college faculty member, I, uh, I've been teaching now for 43 years. I've taught every semester uh, for those 43 years. Uh, I've been evaluated 
uh, during that entire process. Uh, my ratings have, have been uh, good to excellent, uh, and th- that included my, my conservative years when I was an in-classroom teacher as compared to being online. Uh, I have no problem with it. Uh, we're allowed as faculty to offer some questions on the evaluation ourselves, uh, in addition to the general questions that are asked. Uh, I have no problem with it. I, I think there is certainly is a, a potential uh, of teaching to the evaluation, in other words, suppressing uh, information. And I, you know, I, wish, God, I, I have to admit that I, I do that. You know, I, I hate to admit that I do it, uh, but I do it. I, I'm teaching uh, the objective information in my classes. But when it comes to offering my, uh, my learned positions, and I, I'm going to say that advisedly, my learned positions on this, my subjective learned positions, uh, I'm beginning to, uh, to suppress those now because I, uh, it, it creates havoc in my classroom, even online. Uh-huh. For example, Bob, we were talking about a case that I've used consistently of Citadel, the military college in South Carolina, and we were discussing in organizational behavior the, the school's right to suppress the wearing of a hijab, uh, by the uh, this Muslim female student. Uh, I didn't necessarily say that it should automatically be suppressed, but even by offering the, the counter view to the right of the individual to dress as they want, that the school has the right to seek uniformity, it created panic in the classroom. It was, it was amazing <laughs> to see the... the, 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 the uh, energy and the emotion generated by merely my defending as one side of an argument citadel's uh, reasonable position in suppressing the use of the hijab uh, so I, I guess i have to admit that i've done that uh, uh, and i guess part of it would be to ensure my evaluations stay uh, high enough where i can retain my my teaching position even after 43 years of of having been evaluated on a, a good to excellent level uh, good point andy andy we uh, have so much to talk about we need to take a little break can you stick around i'm going to be here all right we're going to have more here on the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratuskell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics, they know the policy, and they prepare your elected officials to win in the legislature. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Andy. So I wanted—I was looking forward to get your comments on the uh, dust-up about the 
classified documents that now that we have a new reveal that uh, Mike Pence says, oh, you know, I had some classified documents that we found as well. Yeah, it's almost awkward talking about it. Uh, I just had Fox on as I was waiting to go on with you, Bob, and they were talking like for 20 minutes on this issue. So it's it's an issue that's been given a lot of verbiage. Uh, I'll see if I can add something to it. Before I get away from this um, education issue that we were discussing before your break, uh, just one other comment. Again, 43 years in the classroom. They've had 43 years to assess the incoming knowledge of, of students as they enter a college environment. Uh, I was a full-time faculty member at my regular school, but I also was full-time adjunct at the state university, uh, and I have seen uh, over that 43 years a precipitous decline in the amount of knowledge, real knowledge that these people have. Of course, a dramatic expansion of their awareness of, of how to use apps and, and uh, the technical aspects of social media. Of course, that's expanded dramatically, mm -hmm. but in terms of general knowledge, that has dramatically, de has dramatically decreased. Uh, also, uh, for example, just one more example. Bob. Uh, I ask my students to answer questions uh, every week from the textbook. We talk about it. But I also ask their opinion. What, I ask them, what is the most important idea in this chapter? Extract that idea and defend it. When I ask for their opinions, their personal opinions extracted from, uh, from a, a, a grouping of materials, uh, they almost find it impossible. There's a panic that sets in when I move them beyond the objectivity of the text into the somewhat subjectivity of their personal opinion. Uh, I think that is a, a dramatically a dramatic area that's that's increasing. What I'm saying is increasing their unwillingness or their inability to generate a personally generated opinion on objective information. So um, it's, these are all serious issues in my world as, a, as an academic, uh, and there's, there's far more we could talk about. Maybe I'll, I'll deepen that uh, next week a little bit. Yeah, you know, so, but Andy, I would suggest that uh, it may be that students are concerned about their opinions being evaluated by the instructor, which could have an impact on their rating and their grade. Well, you know, again, that, that was true, I guess, to a certain extent, although I'm asking them to extract an opinion on textbook information. Uh, yeah. So it's really one that should not make them feel vulnerable. And perhaps you're right when uh, before they, they learn who I am and who I am, perhaps they're a little more concerned, uh, as faculty members are, to express their own opinions that maybe they are too. So I, I have to give that some weight as I, as I offer that thought. Well, well, I, I would suggest both of that... us are being intimidated by the, by the woke environment, Bob. Yeah, and I would suggest that that's a problem here in our education system because that's what we should uh, be encouraging kids to think or, or students to think, not to simply just being able to spit back what they're reading in their textbooks. So uh, I think it's a real concern, but I think it just might be part of the landscape of education today. Yeah, I, again, you're right. I, I have to add that into my assessment of these, these processes that not only am I being a, a pressure in certain directions, but perhaps the students are also. So yeah. uh, that is has a lot of legitimacy to it, Bob. I have to I have to admit to that. Uh, getting back to the uh, the retained documents that uh, President Trump, first of all, was was um, uh, affected by with the raid on Mar-a-Lago, and we don't have to detail that. Uh, certainly, the uh, situation with Joe Biden is is still in formation. We don't really know as much about it as we would like. Uh, but now, Mike Pence has also acknowledged uh, that uh, documents were found at at his home. Um, I don't know how to feel about this. I'm somewhat concerned about the timing of, of the release of the Pence information uh, because it may serve as a basis for the defense of Joe Biden. Although I, I'm going to suggest, without knowing this, that there's a qualitative difference in what Mike Pence did and the information he retained as compared to the information that Biden uh, has, kept, uh, has kept hidden uh, at, even to this point. Uh, blocking, I think, obfuscating the access to these documents and the uh, the availability of them. Uh, Tucker Carlson last night had uh, discussed the uh, the Hunter Biden laptop and information on that laptop that could only be obtained through top secret or at least highly secret uh, uh, government documents. Yeah. Uh, that that information could only come from his father. Uh, so again, there's this strong potential that uh, that this information is is getting out that the Biden information, uh, retained information, perhaps is going to deal with Ukraine and some of those other 
uh, nefarious activities. Uh, I think, as, as Tucker said and I said on the show last week, I think we've reached the point, Bob, where we have to stop talking about the, the general uh, available knowledge of this information being retained, and we have to start dealing with the specifics. What actually was retained? I think we'll find, and this is something I can't document at this point, that the Biden information that was retained was done with intent mm-hmm. as compared to what, what Trump did and what, what, uh, what Pence did. I'd also like, before I finish this statement, it's a, a long statement, I know, but uh, Lindsey Graham defended Joe Biden in this area. He said, I've known President Biden for a long time. I'd be shocked if there's anything sinister here. I, I seriously do not know what's wrong on, on many occasions with Lindsey Graham, Bob. Lindsey Graham is, um, he bloviates. He, the more I see of the guy that, you know, I just, uh, he just can't wait to run in front of a camera. It doesn't matter what camera it is. So, but in any event, uh, the, the other side of this is that it makes me wonder if perhaps we shouldn't be investigating what's in the, the University of Delaware in the library there. They have a special unit that's, uh, uh, housing a lot of uh, the Biden papers, I'm quite certain it would be a good idea to get to go through that. And also, what about uh, President Obama? He had uh, documents, lots of documents that he took with him when he uh, finished his presidency. Those should be investigated as well. I, I think there's a general reluctance among Republicans or anyone dealing with these issues uh, to go as far as seriously challenging Obama. I, I, I could spell out the reasons I think that's true, but I think that all investigations <coughs> stop at the door of, a, uh, of, of, of Obama. So I, uh, I think you're right. Uh, there's no doubt that in the building of a Chicago library, I think there was uh, reams of, of uh, retained documents, yeah. uh, but I think they, they stopped short of this. But I'd also like to note that in the, the commentary about the documents seized by, by Biden, they say there were six seizures, which gives a, a feeling to the, the reading audience that this is six specific documents. This could have been six cases of documents. That's right. Six, a drawer fulls of documents. So uh, it does not indicate the number of documents that was, was seized, but only the retainers in which they were found that, that were seized. Uh, so I think there's a much wider issue. There's obviously been uh, obfuscation both at the press secretary end and by Biden himself. In terms of these issues, I think there there is plenty to hide. And I, I think the public, the, the, the public deserves to know exactly what was retained by Trump, by Pence, and, of course, by Joe Biden, Bob. Absolutely. And, in fact, uh, you referenced earlier that uh, an email that uh, Hunter sent to uh, his one of his colleagues, his working colleagues, that email read as if it came right off of a classified document. So, to me, it looked to me like uh, Hunter had access to classified documents, and he's sending information about Ukraine uh, to one of his working colleagues out of a classified document. I mean, there's no doubt, and that's what I was alluding to before, and there's some sort of a, uh, an unworldly interest that Biden has had historically with, with Ukraine. I mean, it's just, uh, it's totally out of proportion to the significance of Ukraine uh, in the world economic political picture, uh, yet uh, Biden has, has focused much of his, uh, of his last 10 years uh, on Ukraine. So there's something there, obviously, uh, when he had the, uh, the uh, I think at the capacity, the um, probably not district attorney, but the legal official in, uh, in Ukraine fired. Yeah. Uh, I think that was uh, an indication of the, uh, the power that, that Biden yields in Ukraine and the ability, uh, the need he has, forget ability, the need he has to suppress activity directed at uh, any of his activities and his son's activities in, uh, in Ukraine, Bob. Absolutely. Well, perhaps the reason is that uh, Ukraine is corrupt, and we're seeing more evidence of the corruption uh, every day. We need to take another break. Andy, can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. 
You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa. Again, Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you. Hey, I just wanted to get your thoughts on what's happening in Ukraine at the bottomless pit of need, apparently, from uh, Zelensky. What are your thoughts? Well, this this uh, constant uh, increase, uh, aggressive increase in offensive weaponry, I think, is, is dangerous. Um, Germany has committed, uh, I, I, I don't know the number, I haven't heard the number, I don't think at this point, uh, Leopard 2 tanks, uh, very uh, advanced piece of military hardware in the United States is on the verge, I don't think it's been confirmed yet, of transferring anywhere from 30 to 50 uh, M1 Abrams tanks to Ukraine. Again, a very advanced piece of military hardware. Uh, I think Russia will have to uh, aggressively uh, increase their their weaponry in Ukraine. And uh, at this point, uh, it seems that we do not care how many Ukrainians have to die as our surrogate um, army uh, or Russians have to die in the process. It's this dramatic increase, and I call this a dramatic increase at this point, I think uh, has a very, very um, dire implication as, as we extend this uh, this forward. So I, I'm not I'm not happy to see it. I, I wish there was more going on diplomatically, uh, at least some some diplomatic uh, exchanges going on to uh, put this uh, put this to an end of some sort. Uh, but that's not what we're seeing. Uh, I would also like, in the context of, of this, and you alluded to the, the corruption of Ukraine, uh, we have not had a, uh, a reasonable accounting of, of the funds, the expenditures, where this is going, or where the weaponry is going. I mean, mm-hmm. For example, the, the black market and American weaponry worldwide has been expanding ever since uh, the Russian incursion into Ukraine, and our supplying of Ukraine's army, of course, that was also uh, amplified as we left billions of uh, weaponry behind in, in Afghanistan. So we're seeing our weaponry uh, reaching the, uh, the black market. Um, I don't know how much uh, of that is coming from Ukraine, but certainly a substantial uh, portion of it is. Uh, I would also highlight, this is a, an old book, I don't know whether I've ever referred to it before, written by um, General Smedley Butler, who at the time of this writing was the most highly decorated Marine. And here is what, uh, what uh, Butler said. He said, I spent 33 years and four months in active military service, and during that period, I spent most of my time being a high-class muscle man for big business for Wall Street and the bankers. In short, 
I was a racketeer, a gangster for capitalism. I helped make Honduras right for American fruit companies. I helped purify Nicaragua for the International Banking House of Brown Brothers. And he goes on to, uh, to detail how almost every one of his military activities, uh, in retrospect, Butler saw as being nothing more than a military action that was prompted almost entirely by the economic needs of a given portion of the American economic system. Now, am I suggesting that's true here? I certainly cannot uh, refute the potential that this is exactly what's happening here. This is a, a big money, a big profit maker for the, uh, as, they, as Eisenhower would have called it, the military-industrial complex. Uh, and I can't help but believe that mu- much of this is, a, is derived uh, from the arms manufacturers' pr- provocations uh, and their profit needs uh, as we supply more and more weaponry to Ukraine. I, I know that may be cynical to some of your audience, but uh, based on the history of this country, uh, supported by uh, Smetley Butler's uh, positions, I have to believe there's uh, a strong potential that what I just indicated is true, Bob. Oh, absolutely. And when you hear Lindsey Graham and others, uh, Warhawks, talking about uh, our need to go to support uh, the war in Ukraine, you can just imagine the money that's pouring into the coffers of his campaigns uh, from uh, these uh, from the military-industrial complex. Is the name of the book uh, War is a Racket? War is a Racket, yes, that's it. I've read that book. It's great, and it's certainly, I think your perspective is right on, Andy. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy you read it. I, I'm not surprised. I know who you are, Bob, so I, I'm, I'm never surprised when, you, when you've done or known something. So. But the book, for your audience, I mean, details uh, primarily around the First World War. That was his time frame. He details the incredible level of increased profitability uh, of American corporations across the board, uh, going to the point of buying from these suppliers when their materials that were purchased were not even used in the war, yeah. and they sat idle in warehouses, and they, uh, they're probably still there, as far as I know. Uh, so what uh, Butler details, in, 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 and by the way, in great detail, is the amount of profitability generated uh, by these um, war profiteers, I'll call them, uh, and he compares it to the, to the fact that the soldiers in the trenches were making $30 a month while putting their lives on the line. Uh, Butler's uh, solution to this is during war. Any of these uh, suppliers must make the same money as the field troops. Now, that's not going to happen, but I think that would be a reasonable solution to prevent war being provoked by the mere issue of profit, Bob. Oh, you just think about our, our needs right now. We've got 31.4 trillion dollars in debt, and we're pouring money into uh, Ukraine. We have an open border right now. You just think about our priorities. Who's running the show here? I mean, it's just unbelievable the uh, lack of thoughtfulness that goes into what we're funding and why. Well, I think this is a, a I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to use the word conspiratorial, a conspiratory attempt to, to damage this economy. And I'm, I'll talk about that when I talk about the World Economic Forum. Uh, but I think there is a serious attempt to damage uh, the American economy as the world's leading economy uh, to produce a state of chaos. Uh, and when there's chaos, then all things are possible. So I'll talk about that, uh, you know, more when I, I get specifically into the World Economic Forum. Okay. Right. Well, well, you know, this is a good time. We're pretty much going into it. This is a good time to take a break, Andy. Can you stick around? I'll be here. Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, You'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. We continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good to be here, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So, uh, forgot what we were going to talk about. <laughs> so, well, the World Economic Forum. Oh, yes, thank you. Which, which I'm, uh, I'm taking the call Schwabism, so we can understand that what the WEF is is undoubtedly um, created by, inspired by uh, Klaus Schwab. Uh, so I, I'm taking the calling it Schwabism, which gives it a, uh, a deeper focus. Uh, for your audience, and this is going to sound probably to them conspiratorial, but we can trace the existence of the World Economic Forum from the Illuminati, Illuminati in 1776 under Adam Westhop uh, in Germany uh, to the uh, existence of, uh, of Marxism in the middle part of the 19th century. We can then trace that into the Trilateral Commission, finally into uh, Schwabism, which had its origin sometime in the early uh, 1990s. Now, to your audience, this may sound, I, again, I guess it will sound conspiratorial, but I think it can be well documented that the philosophies, the ideas from 1776 under Westhop in Germany uh, and, and Marx in Germany uh, into the uh, issue of Schwab in Germany, coming out of Germany all reflect the same basic ideas. I, I would add into this the uh, existence of National Socialism, uh, could be part of it. And let me just give one little anecdote to indicate the, the impact that early Illuminati had. And this is uh, p- things that people, uh, I think, should know. This is documented information. Uh, it may be Westhop and the Illuminati that stimulated the French Revolution. Huh. Uh, there is uh, correspondence that existed between Westhop and Robespierre uh, to provoke the French Revolution. It took place at a point in time when Louis XVI was actually one of the most benign and benevolent kings uh, France had ever had. He was a, a giving king. Now, he suffered uh, in the latter part of his reign because of, of natural weather disasters that hurt the food supply. But Louis XVI was as good a leader as that country had had to that point in time. So what the point I'm suggesting is, is that the French Revolution was artificially provoked by actions of the Illuminati. I highlight that because this is an indication of of the general approach that has been used since that point in time, the Illuminati, the Trilateral Commission, now uh, uh, Schwabism, uh, to do exactly that provoke revolutions in fact or in, in name uh, in countries uh, to damage the existing, the existing governments. Uh, so I would, for your audience, just try to give them an idea of, of what the uh, World Economic Forum... Let, let me start someplace else, because I wanted to make a point going in. Uh, I just recently read a, uh, an essay by a gentleman I normally like on Town Hall, Kurt Schlichter. I, I like what he writes, I don't like what he says. Uh, but he indicated in these words, these WEF geeks are pretty lame Bond villains. Now, what Schlichter is referring to is so some of the silly, superficial commentary that took place at Davos. But he doesn't seem to understand the reality of what, of what WEF is about and what Schwabism about, which takes place almost entirely beneath the surface of, of what the public is, is, uh, is witnessing. Uh, to understand where they're going, it's, it can be built around two, two basic concepts. 
uh, difficult to understand sometimes, uh, but I think they're critical for your audience to understand if they can do some other reading on this. That's the issue of creating a, technoc- a technocracy or a scientific dictatorship, a technoc- technocracy for your audience can be best seen as a scientific dictatorship and a uh, deep immersion in transhumanism, changing the basic nature of what it is to be human. Uh, these are the two defining concepts of what uh, of what drives Schwabism. Now, we've seen this happening already. This is what happened in Nazi Germany. It's what happened in, in, in China. Uh, we've already seen the, uh, the impact of the young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. That's the, the category of the leaders that are being trained and indoctrinated by Klaus Schwab. We've seen their impact in Sri Lanka. We've seen it in the Netherlands. We've seen it under Merkel in Germany. So uh, this diminishing of what the DWEF is, as, as Schlichter calls it, pretty lame, absolutely not true. This is a group with tremendous extended influence, right. uh, not only with the young global leaders, but uh, 10,000 active members of the, uh, of the WEF uh, that exist worldwide in 46 countries. Uh, I'm going to say, well, what are those 10,000? Perhaps it's Antifa, Bob. I'm making that up. Uh, in the sense that I have no proof of that, but there's every reason to believe that Antifa is a WEF-funded part of their operation, again, to create chaos. Uh, The WEF sees chaos and the resulting um, demands being put on government uh, to gain greater efficiency and greater uh, greater ability to solve these problems as moving towards uh, this scientific dictatorship. Where did we see this in this country? Certainly, we saw that with Anthony Fauci. We saw that with the CDC. Right. So in this very compressed uh, time that we have at this point, uh, I think if we're saying this is just a, a, a charade, it's just a conspiracy, no. I think we can see manifestations of this. We've seen manifestations of it historically. We can see manifestations of it right now. We can see, for example, you get back to the Trilateral Commission. The vast majority of Jimmy Carter's cabinet were trilateral members. Trilateral Commission uh, founded by David Rockefeller and by uh, uh, Brzezinski. Uh, so we have the Trilateral Commission into Schwabism, same philosophies, same, same intended destination, a, one, uh, a, a world government, the, a one world order. Uh, these are words that have be, be, been diminished uh, by, the, by the media. But I think these are real things. Uh, everything I've read, everything I've seen documents the existence of this direction right now being pr- provoked by Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum, Bob. Well, and you can see it also in other behaviors, or for example, what's happening with this administration and uh, the whole notion of creating chaos. Uh, and uh, it really follows kind of the, the pattern of the World Economic uh, Forum. In fact, your latest column, I, I just posted it uh, the other day on uh, my website. You can go, if you're listening right now, you can go to Correct Me If I'm Wrong. It's at the top of the website at bobharden.com. Yes, I remember the name of that was uh, the Illuminati, uh, Marxism, and, and Schwabism. I think that was the name of that, yeah. which uh, basically lays out in greater detail what I'm, what I'm discussing with you right now. An important column, and just if, first of all, I found the information about the Illuminati, a lot of information I wasn't aware of, it was so fascinating. But the whole purpose right now is to create chaos, enough to discredit the current governments of the world, and to create, to fill a void with the so-called Schwabism, as you're calling it, which is absolutely correct. The whole notion is to uh, level the playing field so nobody has anything, that everybody is a, a, a subject of uh, these informed people. <laughs> the, 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 the scientific di- uh, dictatorship, I, I think, is the best way to visualize this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I think we're looking at a situation, as you're describing and I describe, uh, that is manifest. It's not something that's uh, a hypothetical. It's not a potential. Uh, it, is a, it is a current reality and a very serious current reality. We look at, uh, just add uh, Justin Trudeau in Canada into this mix, uh, and the question should be asked, where did he gain the authorities, in his mind at least, where did he gain the authorities for the draconian measures that he's taken in Canada? The answer is that the essential rejection of democracy as a a major part of Schwabism leads... uh, Trudeau into the ability to say, I must do what I think is right independently of any other value for, for Canadians. Uh, and that 
is the model that is used. The, the WEF encourages world leaders to progress along the philosophies of the WEF as, uh, as Schwab presents them, uh, rejecting their own uh, laws, rejecting their own government to get to this other point. Uh, and I think what we're seeing right now is, uh, for the audience again, to create a mental image of this, we're, we're creating uh, what historically was called a company town. Company town is where a corporation goes in, they build homes for the people in them, but the company runs the place. The company gives the the, the people only what they need, uh, but the company determines exactly where the direction they're going in, with the, the people in the, working for the company having no voice in it. That is the best way to understand where the, where the Schwabism is trying to take us by. That's right. Tennessee Ernie Ford, uh, 16 tons. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. Very good, Bob. Very so, good. Andy, I just uh, genuinely appreciate your commentary on the show. And again, I refer our listeners to, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, at the top of my website, bobharden.com. Check out uh, Andy's column. Andy, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you, Bob. I hope to see you soon. I hope so as well. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some terrific guests for tomorrow's show as well. Uh, always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail. BobHardnetHotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.